Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's show is brought to you by GoDaddy.com, where you can buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools today and save 30%. Just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the link in the show notes for today's show, or head over to resources page and click on the GoDaddy icon. In today's podcast, I am happy to have on the show Olivia Charlet. She is half French, half Belgian, born in Tokyo, grew up living in Dusseldorf, Johannesburg, Vienna, and Hamburg. After finishing her bachelor's in finance in Boston, she moved to London to work in finance for three years. After a life-changing coaching experience, she quit her job in finance and completed a master's in psychology and psychiatry at King's College and a coaching qualification with the Coaching Academy. Olivia believes in being yourself, 100% yourself while running your business. Creating massive results should be done your way and on your terms. If it doesn't feel aligned, what's the point? If it's not you being you, what's the point? If you're spending all day doing shoulds in your business, what's the point? Her mission in life is to uncover and unravel your deepest power and zone of genius. Her mission for you to realize how much potential you truly have, get totally aligned with your truth and calling, and take massive inspired action to create all the results you want in your business and in your life. This comes naturally to her, understanding you at an incredibly deep level, sensing what to ask you next, and when to seriously push you out of your comfort zone so you can be so insanely inspired that you feel the need to make massive inspired action that comes intuitively and naturally. And people around you have no idea what happened. That's They just know something massive has shifted. So in today's episode, we talk about the path to uncovering what you're truly passionate about, how to discover your financial blueprint and shift to a positive money mindset, which is something that I have certainly struggled with in the past, motivational interviewing and strategies to develop rapport, which every physical therapist and everyone who works with another human being can use, and building a fan base through authenticity and boldness and much, much more. So Olivia was great. She was so much fun to have on the show. And I think you guys are really going to get a lot out of this episode. But before we go for the listeners of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. Find out why so many business owners choose GoDaddy to be their domain name registrar. So there's tons of features at GoDaddy. I use GoDaddy. Their customer service is great. Every time I've had a problem, it's been a quick resolution. So hop on over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Like I said before, the link to the GoDaddy 30% off is in the show notes today. And it's also on the resources page. Just pop over and click on GoDaddy. Daddy. So thanks so much to Olivia Charlet for this great interview and thank you all for listening and enjoy. Hi Olivia, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on Karen. I'm super excited. Well, you know, I sort of read your bio uh, in the beginning here and I think you have such an interesting background. So if you wouldn't mind sharing sort of your eclectic upbringing and education and how that kind of led you to where you are today. I think the listeners will will love it. Totally. And it, it is a really 
big part of my story and it's a big part of why I am where I am, I guess. So yeah, absolutely. So my dad um, worked for a big multinational French company and that company basically asked him to move um, every four or five years, move country. So like every four or five years, they would offer him a brand new contract. So obviously as his kids, every four or five years, we would move along with him. So we were literally like these globe global nomads. So I was born in Tokyo, Japan, and my brother was as well. My sister was born in Paris. And then we moved to Dusseldorf in Germany. We spent two and a half years there. We then moved to Johannesburg in South Africa, which was amazing. We spent kind of like our young, very young childhood years there. So sort of around elementary school time. Um, And that was absolutely incredible, just totally different, loads of like outdoorsy stuff, loads of sports, like safaris, just it's incredible as a kid to grow up there. And so we spent about six and a half years in Joburg. And then we moved to Vienna and Austria. And that's where I first learned to speak German. I played on a German football team. I learned a whole new culture and customs. And then we moved over to Hamburg, Germany. And I spent my last two years of high school over there um, and continued obviously learning German and continued playing football there. Um, and so that, that was basically until I was 18 years old. Um, so that in itself was already quite, um, quite a lot of travel and loads of different countries and continents. Um, but the most incredible experience meeting people from all over the world, attending international schools where they taught us English, which is why I have such an American accent is because most of the teachers were either American or, or British basically. Um, and then afterwards I applied to go to Boston university in Massachusetts and I did a bachelor's in business management over there. I spent about, I was meant to spend four years there, but then I moved again. I studied abroad in Auckland, New Zealand for six months. And then I moved to London for six months to study abroad there. And then I got back to Boston, finished my degree, um, and decided that London was the place that felt the most multicultural. And that's why I was like, you know what, this actually feels most like home in a weird sort of way. Um, So I actually moved back to London and I started working at Bloomberg, which is a financial data and financial services company, uh, which is a private company. It's not on the exchange. And I worked there for about three years and that was amazing. You know, I think I was, I was 22 years old when I joined and it's, it feels like forever ago now, but it's, I was, you know, super passionate. Like I love the idea of, of learning. I loved finance was really interesting to me because we got to learn about all the financial products, mostly on the fixed income side. And it was just fascinating, you know, and it, it was definitely a company where you could really, um, like basically be ambitious and driven and and do the work and be rewarded for it. So I would get these promotions and these raises. And that was amazing, especially as somebody who's quite young and, and driven and determined to sort of continue to grow and learn. And then it was interesting. I moved into sales. I worked, um, I basically was um, an account manager and and worked in sales for big um, insurance companies in Paris, Um, insurance companies, some banks, uh, asset management companies. And I would travel three weeks a month to Paris back and forth from London. And it was, it was pretty exhausting. It was pretty fast paced. It was pretty full on. The clients were pretty intense as well, as you can imagine, especially because that was like right after the crisis as well at times. And people were a little bit stressed. Um, And, you know, what's funny, Karen, is is just at that time, that's when I really realized I'd been working there for about two years. And I was like, wait a second, like, what am I really doing here? You know, how much am I really helping people? And also, I really started thinking, like, am I really using my strengths? So like, really, what it is that I've been given as like, gifts or, or just like what it is that I'm genuinely naturally strong at. 
And I realized that I was like, no, I'm not really helping anyone. And I feel so, um, I just felt like so out of alignment and so out of flow and so not part of like the actual calling that I was meant to be doing in the world. But the problem was, was that I wasn't really sure what I was meant to be doing. So I, um, Basically, that's when I decided to be like, okay, well, this is obviously not it, even though it's a great company and I really enjoyed working there. Ultimately, I was like, this is very intense and I'm not even really passionate about it anymore. So I I just started thinking, I was like, okay, well, what am I passionate about? Like, what is my calling? Like, what does excite me? And the only thing that would really come up was sports. I'd always been passionate about sports, um, relationships. So like love, dating, all that stuff. For some reason, I'd always been really interested in that. And then the third one was psychology. I'd always always read a lot of books on psychology. I'd always been curious about it. I'd always been very fascinated about why people do what they do. And so I decided to quit my job and do a master's in organizational psychology and psychiatry at King's, which is a college in um, the UK in London. And, you know, that's kind of the beginning of, of that, of that part of my journey around really discovering that, you know what, this is a lot more in, more a lot more in alignment with who I am with what it is that I'm actually really really into what it is that I'm meant to be doing in the world so I did that and then midway through I actually started my first business um, which was a dating events company for global nomads so for people who like me were either multicultural so like were had like a mixed race family or who um, had grown up like I had like all over the world and um, that was just something that I was just like well I think we need this I think we need something that's like allows to create that community for people who feel really different like I never really felt French because I'm like my dad is French I never really felt Belgian my mom's Belgian even though I had those passports because I was born in Tokyo and I never lived in either of those countries in France and Belgium. So although I was going back every Christmas and summer to spend, you know, a couple weeks over there because my, some of my extended family lived there, I didn't really feel like I was from that country. So that's actually what ultimately got me into starting that business and that company. Um, and soon afterwards, 11 months later, basically I got an investment offer for that, um, for that business and declined it because I realized I ultimately had just realized what my utter calling was, which was basically empowering women to truly live their life on their terms and really follow their true cravings and be incredibly successful, um, both in terms of like actual fulfillment, but also in terms of their wealth. And um, so I just basically left that that business and started my coaching and speaking business, um, Olivia Charlie International. And so that was about this second business was about 19 months ago now. So yeah, that, that kind of gives you a, a really uh, as, as short as I can make it around my story and, and how I've come to, to be in this in this um, area. Yeah, I mean, what a great story and and so much moving and shuffling around and it's it's amazing that you, I think, have been able to come out of all that moving and all of that sort of global nomad life and create something that's, you know, very real and very permanent at this point in time versus just continuing to keep kind of popping around from job to job and doing this, doing that. And, and there's something that you said with when you were speaking there that I would love for you to clarify and maybe expand upon is you had said, you know, you kind of thought, well, what am I meant to be doing? What is my calling? So <laughs> what do you say to people who maybe they're in a job and they're, it's a job, but maybe it's not, they're not passionate about it. How can people discover what that calling could be? Are there any, any tips or tricks that they can do or exercises? 
Totally. And I'm like nodding my head whilst you're saying that, because I know that I took so long just like really digging into that question because I was obviously looking at for it for myself. So I think the first thing that's really interesting to look at is looking at where you spend like your leisure time. So when, for example, it's like a Sunday and you have like three hours ahead of you and maybe you don't have any plans during that time, like what do you do, right? Like where do you spend your time researching or reading or or chilling or hanging out or or what do you spend that like that time doing. So that's an interesting question in and of itself, because that often tells you a little bit where, where you ultimately look to go to when you have that extra time. The second question I would probably look at is, um, where do you lose yourself? So where does time literally fly by whereby you feel like four hours have gone by, but it feels like four minutes. Like where is it that you literally are in such a state of flow that anything could be happening around you. You wouldn't even realize because you're so in love with it and that you would never look at the clock and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe like I still have to do this for three hours. Like nothing like that. It's the exact opposite that you're like, Oh my God, I could do this forever. I would do this for free. Right? So that's another thing I would look at. I would really look at that area and, you know, take a little time. And I think the first thing people often do is they look at the areas and they're like, well, I couldn't do a job like that. Or there's no business that exists like that. Or, you know, there's no role like that. And that's actually not true. Like there, basically, I really believe that there's a role for everything. Like, like a couple weekends ago, I met a girl who tastes teas. So like tea, like English breakfast tea or just teas. She like goes out and like she tastes them. And I was like, there is a job for everything. Right. And I think a lot of us have this very closed minded limiting like way of seeing the world and in which we're like, well, that that's not possible or that's too good to be true or that that's not possible for me specifically. So I would be very open minded when you think about it. Like, even if it's something like, I don't know, gardening or, um, you know, that you love to read like some kind of magazine or there's, you just love to just chat to people and get to know them. Like, I think there's genuinely a job for anything or a business for everything. Right. So that's the second thing. And then maybe the third thing I would really look at is around, you know, really asking yourself, okay, well, so if I was given, you know, $50 million and literally that money was like given into your hands and all of a sudden you could do anything that you wanted with it. So most people would say, okay, cool. Like then what I would do is I would, you know, buy a trip to the Maldives and I would go to Maui and I would, I would go all over the world and travel and I would go to India and I would do a retreat there and I would go surf in Australia and I would do this. And then it's like, okay, cool. That's interesting. Now, what would you do three years into that when you still got like $45 million, right? Or, or more. And then they start thinking and they're like, well, that's true. I would probably actually like, maybe there are a couple people who'd probably say, actually, I would continue doing that. And so that tells me, well, that's interesting, you know, about travel and your idea that you want to be around all these different countries and you want to have that to be part of your life. Like that is hundred percent true, right? Like I travel loads and that's my life. Right. Um, but let's say some people would also say, well, I would actually kind of get bored of that. And ultimately that's not what I would want to spend the rest of my life doing. So that's when it gets interesting, right? So what would you do with that $45 million now? Right. And, and then the answers get really interesting around, okay, well, I would start a foundation. I would, you know, I would actually get my friends together and we would, I would do this or, you know, actually what would be really freaking cool is because I have all the money, I would just start this thing or, or I would do this job because now money is no longer an issue. And that's when it gets interesting because we go closer to what it is that you actually deeply want to do, not what you think will make money or what you think you should do. Yeah. And I think that's a great, uh, exercise for people to do because yeah, when you say, Oh, I won the lottery and X amount of money, people often just think in the short term and not for the long term. So, so really pushing beyond what you would do that initial year or something like that 
and push beyond that and, and really say to yourself, if money was no object, what is it I would do that would really fulfill me? A hundred percent. And I just think that's such a powerful question. And I think too few of us do it. And then you get people who you meet who are like 65, 75, 80 years old. And they're like, you know, I really regret not having jumped, not having done something that I actually deeply wanted to be doing. Yeah. And, and I, I like that you said, you know, there's, there is a, a place for everything in this world, like the woman who tastes yeah. tea, right? So I think the hardest part for me, at least, when it comes to, let's say you're unhappy where you are and you're thinking, you know, I really want to switch it up, but I, I don't know that I can make money on this, or I don't, I don't know that, you know, this is something that I can sustain myself, and it's not, so I feel like it's all about having the right mindset. Yes. So how can one build this mindset around money and around, I don't know if you want to call it abundance, but certainly around money, so that you know, you, you can have a little more confidence in, in what you know and in what your zone of genius is to, to say. Totally. And I feel like, I mean, what's, I love this question and I feel like there's so much to it, right? Like I, I spent like, um, days on this kind of topic. So, um, I think the first thing to look at, um, and by the way, yes, I completely agree with you. I actually, a friend uh, a couple weeks ago was like, Oh my God, I really want to do this, but there's no money in it. And I was like, really? I would completely disagree. I think there's a lot of money in it. Um, cause I believe that there's money basically everywhere. But anyway, um, so in terms of how to improve your money mindset, right? Well, the first thing I would look at is your money story, right? So ultimately in a way we each have a financial blueprint. So, and, and by the way, you can choose to believe this. You can choose not to believe this, but ultimately I would always, um, go with an open mind around anything that you ever learn, because ultimately if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. Right. So you can, you know, I would always experiment with these things and then see if they work for you. So the first thing just to, to note is that, yeah, so if we all have a financial blueprint, right. And that financial blueprint says, um, that you always go into this like feast and famine mode, or that you just believe that there's like very limited resources on this planet, or that it's incredibly, incredibly hard to make money or money always creates fights or frustration in the world or whatever it might be. Right. Um, ultimately we each have the these financial blueprints, because if you think about it, when you were a baby and you were born, when you're a baby, you, there's nothing, right? There might be, if, if you believe in spirituality, then there might be like the, your soul and what it is that you are meant or called to do in the world. But ultimately you don't have any like real language. You don't know how to speak. You don't really have thoughts. Normally it might just be some feelings about, okay, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty or I'm, I'm too hot or I'm too cold. But ultimately it's like, you're not even, you don't even really have those thoughts because you don't even have the words, right? You don't have the words as of yet. So ultimately where do those words come from? Where does the language come from? Where do the beliefs start coming from? Where do the sentences like uh, money doesn't grow in trees? Where do those come from? Where does the statement like, well, you have to work really hard before you get a reward, right? Or, well, yeah, but be careful because that's very dangerous to do. Like, where do all of those, those phrases, those language pieces, those sentences come from? Well, they come from your caretakers, right? Like whether it was your parents or a parent or a grandparent or an uncle, whoever it was that took care of you. Well, guess what? Like you learned a language from them. And I guess my story is a really good example of that because like just how I absorbed English when I was four years old from these American professors and I took exactly their accent. Well, guess what? You took 
And um, when I say you, I mean the listener, you took um, the, the beliefs, the thoughts, the words, the language, the phrases that, that's, um, that you were listening to from the people who were surrounding you. So whether that was your parents or someone else. So when they said, um, you know, if they, for example, fought over money and they were like fighting over money because there wasn't enough money or they had to pay the bills and they were late again and they got really angry. Guess what you did? You started absorbing that. You modeled that. You thought about that. You made a a meaning around that. You decided that, oh, wait, money and there's a lack of money and money creates fights. Then, oh my God, like I don't have a really great relationship with money. Right. Or if they said, you know, you have to work really, really hard. And you could also tell that your parents were always stressed out or drained or frustrated. Again, you're going to absorb some of that. You're going to start creating meaning about money. And all of a sudden this new baby born that like had no like thoughts or feelings or language or beliefs, all of a sudden now has all these belief systems around something that they don't even really have much um, experience over. Right. Which is kind of funny in the first place. It's like, it doesn't even come from you. Right. So ultimately um, I would look at, well, first of all, how did your if if for example you had a mom and dad what did your mom think about money like what kinds of phrases did she use what kinds of things did she say about money um how did she act around money i would even look at like also her behavior right did she get a little stress around money um could you tell that she was anxious around it would she only ever buy in the sales did she always look for the discounts was she always trying to to scrape was she trying to always be frugal like or was she super abundant about it you know there are definitely people out there who are so was that sort of more of your mom's behavior then i would look at your dad's like so what did that look like you know how did he feel about money and like writing all of that down and really thinking about, well, what were his beliefs? Did he believe in this whole feasts and famine thing or that there's never going to be enough or that you have to work insanely hard or you have to, you know, depreciate your wealth, your health to actually create wealth? Um, what were his thoughts and beliefs? And then I would even maybe even look at your grandparents. Why? Because there's a very good chance that your parents took on your grandparents' beliefs, right? So ultimately it can be very powerful to look at, well, what did your grandparents believe? Even if you only spent a little bit of time with them, what did they say? What did they think you know if they were in the war for example what did they feel about money and and scarcity and um and abundance and those types of things so that's the first thing i would look at so basically your your money story your financial blueprint the the story that you have around money based off of your parents and what i would then look at is now looking at you how do you see money how do you treat your money right even if i go into your wallet right now and i open your wallet what am i going to see am i going to see crumpled up cash or am i going to see that you've got it all really lined up and you take care of your money right um if i open your wallet is going to be like a six-year-old wallet that's torn up like that's interesting about how you treat your money would you treat your boyfriend like that or your girlfriend right so you know i would also look at if you had to um another really powerful way is looking at it if you were to look at it as if it was your relationship right so imagine your money is your partner. So your loving romantic lover, like now, but then you think about it and you think about that, like, how would you call, how would you uh, describe that relationship? Is it loving? Is it open? Is it caring? Is it soft? Is it like open and willing? And is it all of those things? Or instead, is it like, Oh my God, like, um, restricted, constrictive, like, um, frustrating, angry, like intense. Right. So it'd be really interesting just to look at why, because the, the first step to, to money mindset is awareness. So if you don't have any awareness around your blueprint or around how you treat money or how you see money, then we can't get to the next step of actually shifting that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, s- Money, ideas around money can be so ingrained 
into the way that we live, the way we grew up, kind of like what you said about the financial blueprint. So what sort of things can we do to shift that uh, mindset mm-hmm. and, and maybe just one or two exercises that we can start thinking about uh, in shifting that mindset to say, hey, you know, this is, uh, I feel like I have the right mindset to go forward in adventure A, B, and C or, you know, in an entrepreneurial or, or not adventure. Yeah, totally. So I think there would be two big things that I would straight away say. There's obviously way more, but the first thing I would say is start getting into environments whereby people are very abundant. So start spending time with people who are multimillionaires and who are very comfortable about money. Start start spending time with people who are established business owners, for example, and have you know, tens of thousands of dollars coming in each month and who are really good about managing their money. Spend time in rooms where you've got people who are looking to invest their wealth. And some people, you know, I can, I can hear my clients in the back of my mind saying, well, how do I do that? Right? Like, where do I find those? Like, I don't know any multimillionaires. Yeah, that, was my, that was actually <laughs> my next question. Well, what, what if you're like, I don't know any, but with the internet, you can easily you know, absolutely. There are podcasts that feature multimillionaires and you get their mindset. There are, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook groups and things like that. Right. So I feel like that's a way you can quote unquote, get close to people, be around people of this caliber. If you don't have them in your immediate physical environment. Yeah. I, I, I love that Karen. I think that is 100% true already. It's the online piece, but then to be very honest with you, I would also challenge them to be like, I don't, I will, I'll call you out on that. Like I say, I would call out on my clients around, I, I can't see them in the immediate place. I disagree. I just think that's us being like, I don't want to get out of my comfort zone because ultimately I really do believe that in your city, wherever you are, there are absolutely those kinds of people, whether it's on, um, in meetups or specific events that are going on in your city or networking events or investor events or wealth events. And and usually a lot of those are free to be very honest with you. And if they're not free, they might cost you, I don't know, the, the $50, the $60, which ultimately to spend time with those types of people is like a freaking bargain. Um, and then what I would also say is like you said, LinkedIn, and then why can't we meet up with those people, right? Like offer them to treat them to lunch, you know, spend the $80 to, to treat them to a really like nice lunch because ultimately you're going to get so much from that. Right. And again, that's getting way out of your comfort zone, which will allow you to grow as well, which is really powerful. But also it's like, it's like, that's always, I mean, I always look at, well, how far are you willing to go? Right. Are you just going to be one of those people that just takes a couple steps and it's like, Oh yeah, like I move forward. Or are you going to be the kind of person who's really willing to, you know, take, like do what it takes basically. And, um, and maybe drive out of your city and, and drive three hours to go to New York city and, and go to one of those events. Or if you're based, you know, around the UK, but you're not in London, take the train two hours and come here for, it doesn't have to be all the time. I'm just talking about doing it once every two months, right. Just spending some, some time, some real time with those types of people. So, um, I love that you said that as well, because there's definitely the online side of things that is so easy to get access to and to just literally immerse yourself into that on a daily basis. And then besides environment, the second sort of exercise that I would recommend is basically 
you can, um, you can start creating new beliefs. So for example, um, you say like, how can I shift my beliefs? Right? So let's say you've got limiting beliefs around money and you just don't really believe that it's possible to, to launch that venture or to receive that much money in that next job or whatever it might be for you. Well, if you think about it, what is a belief? A belief is something that we hold with a lot of certainty, right? It's a thought that we hold with a lot of certainty, but really if I were to ask you, okay, what evidence do you have for that belief? you would actually struggle to find evidence for it. Or the evidence that you would come up with would potentially be something from your dad or something that's happened in your past that isn't even relevant anymore. So basically, the beliefs that we have are not even backed usually by scientific research or any kind of real evidence, right? Which is really interesting in and of itself. So first of all, I would look at, well, what evidence do you have that it's hard to make money? What evidence do you have that this venture won't make money? Is it just because your friend John said that he can't do it? Did he do it? And usually he hasn't done it himself, but he's just like, oh, I heard stories, right? Everyone's heard stories and stories. Um, and then the second thing I would look at is, okay, so first of all, what evidence do you have for that limiting belief? And then I would say, okay, well, what, what is the new belief that you want to have instead? So let's say one of your beliefs is it's really hard to make money. Well, ideally you want, you would want to have the opposite belief, right? As in, it's really easy for me to make money. Cool. So now that that's your new belief, what we want to start doing is we want to start adding references or past evidence to start propping up that belief, right? So imagine like, um, imagine that a belief is a tabletop. And the way that the tabletop is, is staying strong and is holding up is because it's got table legs. Well, each one of the table legs is a reference or is a past moment or past event that is propping up that belief. So if we choose a new belief, like money is really easy for you to make or large sums of money are very easy for you to make in this new venture or in this new job, then all we need to do is start looking for new pieces of evidence or quote unquote new table legs that will start propping up that new belief. Does that make sense, Karen? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I, I like the visual of the table and the legs. I think that makes it a lot easier to to understand and to make it more concrete versus this sort of out there in the ether yes. beliefs kind of thing. And, and, you know, and I'm a physical therapist and in physical therapy, um, we rely heavily on the evidence. So I'm so glad that you're like, well, what is the evidence for that? <laughs> Exactly. You know, yeah, my, my uh, fiance is a clinical psychologist and he's done two PhDs and he's like, um, you know, published so many papers and he's, he's, his first question for everything ever is like, okay, well, what's the scientific research behind that or what's the evidence? And so what, what makes me laugh about that is if that's the thing is we just hold on to these quote unquote stories or beliefs that we have and we never even challenge them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the way I love your line of questioning and, and, you know, what is the evidence you have? How can you change that evidence versus those, is there evidence for that? Well, that's a yes or no question, right? And and I think that leads into something that I really want to talk about next because I think this can be huge for uh, for my audience and my listeners when they're perhaps working with their clients and even for themselves. And, and that's talking about that sort of motivational interviewing, right? You which is kind of what you're doing with, with those questions of, well, what, what's the evidence for that? And can you explain how, you know, how your views may change if, if the evidence were different, something like that. But, you know, I was just at a course and they talked a lot about motivational interviewing, especially when you get that first point of contact, whether it be with your patient or your client. So can, I know you have that psychology background. So would you mind talking a little bit about the importance of that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what's really interesting is, so back when I did my, um, my master's in organizational psychology and psychiatry, um, basically what that master's covered is one, like all of the psychological disorders on one end. And then on the other end, it was all about sort of engagement, motivation, um, leadership, um, stress within organizations. So, but it was also like looking at the causes, the factors of those and how to basically motivate employees. So, so the level of motivation and where that even comes from. And what's really interesting is, um, then I obviously did a dissertation on it. Um, basically looking at the causes of stress in nurse practitioners and long story short, what was the most interesting is that it always came back to the why, right? And by why, I mean, W-H-Y. So like, what it is, why it matters to people, right? So let's say, let's say, let's take um, employees in a company, employees in a company, like when they first come in, maybe you think, okay, they're going to get, they're going to be really like um, excited or motivated by a raise, right? So if you give them more money and more money and more money, they're going to work harder, work harder, work harder, and you're going to get more value out of those employees, right? But what's interesting is what they found is in research is that then it gets capped off, whereby even when you're giving them more money, they're no longer motivated or more motivated than before. So then where does it come down to or, or then what happens next, right? Well, that's when they actually found that it was actually the intrinsic value that was much more interesting to people, i.e. that kind of deep, like deep rooted motivation around why stuff matters to them, right? So for example, if you're working for a big, huge company and you have no idea why you're doing what you're doing and you're just doing this small task every day that is basically a very similar one every single day for the last like 12 months, at some point you're kind of going to be like, you know, what, what's the point of this? Like, I don't even care about this. I'm not even really that motivated about this and, and I don't really give anymore. And, and so However, if we take another example and we'd say, okay, but then there's this other company that always shares about their vision in the world and why they're doing what they're doing. Apple used to do this very well, um, the company. So Apple used to constantly talk about why they do what they do and, and how they want to literally change people's lives through their products. Like it was about literally disrupting people's version of normal. So as a result of that, people who were working there, even if they were doing the same task every day or had this very kind of um, either like low skilled job, or even if they've been doing it for a while, they had this, this drive and this motivation and this sort of um, desire to keep doing it because they felt so connected with the why, with why was it that they were doing this. So when, when it comes down to motivational, like interviewing, or when you, you know, let's say you meet a prospect or a patient or a potential client for the first time, well, ultimately it's kind of the same thing, right? Like People might say, um, let's say, oh, I really want to make more money in my business or I really want to feel more toned and fit and look hot or I really want to, you know, there are all kinds of reasons and there are all kinds of ways that people could go about it. But ultimately, what is it that they want under that, right? And there's a little helicopter going over here. Um, what is it like, what is it that they want over like, yes, it's the money. They say it's the money, but why do they want the money? Or let's say they're like, I really want to feel really toned. I want to like run this marathon. I want to feel this way in my body. I want to like feel a lot healthier, whatever. Why? Right? Like what is, what's the actual motivation? What is the inner drive? What is the thing that's actually pushing them to want that thing? And usually it's deeper than just, I want this good looking body, or I just want these like 10 K or I just want this. Usually it's something much more deep. Like, you know, I want to feel loved or I want to feel like, I feel, I want to feel like I can connect with other people or I want to find, you know, 
a partner and I feel like with the body I'll be able to find the partner and that's what's going to make me feel loved right there are just so many deeper rooted things so if you just ask you know we were talking about this before our interview if if you keep asking them these close like these um close-ended questions whereby they just answer yes and no rather than asking questions like you know how does that make you feel and why is that important to you and what does that mean to you and why are you so keen on making these changes or what what is it that's really going to how is this going to change your life or or other areas of your life once you get this result or once you work with me around this and by doing that you really help them open up to the actual drive and the actual meaning as to why this is important to them basically and that's going to make a much, much stronger pull around them actually becoming a client and also just getting closer for them to actually make a change, right? Because sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I want this. But then when it comes down to doing what it takes, we're a bit less motivated, right? So Absolutely. if you can get them down to their motivation, you're much more likely to get them to, to do it for as long as, as possible. Yeah. And at, I was at a course a couple of weeks ago and there was a psychologist there and he was using a technique with motiv- within motivational interviewing. So if someone said, Oh, I, you know, let's say you're a physical therapist, they're coming to you, I want to run a marathon. I don't want to get injured, I want to run a marathon. And so he said, well, you know, what you could say is, say back is, you know, so so you really want to run this marathon and stay injury free. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So you're kind of would would you call what do you call that mirroring or or oh. or, or um, I forget what he it's lose it's escaped my mind what he called that but I don't know if that's mirroring or if that's sort of oh he called it reflecting yes that's what I was about to yeah. say it's, okay so that would be reflecting so if they say something and you why do we reflect right because obviously it's more interesting because I know some people will be like well why should we do that right like why is that important well if you reflect what somebody has just said what it makes them feel like is like oh my god this person gets me they understand me like she's actually listening to me whereas a lot of people let's say that they're about to try to bring on a new client they're not even listening to the person because they're so set on their mind about making the sale that they've lost that human connection right so when you reflect back to someone what it is that they just said they feel that that inner connection like oh wow this person's really listening to me they really understand me they get me and a human like a human just in general loves to feel that connection and I think what you were mentioning about mirroring uh mirroring and matching would be Let's say that you are on a Skype call, a Skype video call with them, or you meet them in person and they've come to your office, or you see them at at an event or a meetup of some kind, and this person is potentially a prospect. Well, you want to notice all of their behavior, right? So their physiology. So how are they standing? How are they breathing? Where are their arms? Do they look a little bit closed? Do they have crossed legs? Like what's going on with their facial features. You want to kind of read them. Why? Because if you um, mirror them, which is basically do, I mean, we do this naturally, to be honest, as humans anyway, but in in neuro-linguistics programming, they talk about mirroring because it's such a powerful way to, again, make the person feel like this person is like me. Because when we slightly mirror the way that, like, let's say somebody has their arms crossed. Well, it's better to also kind of have your arms crossed. Obviously, you do it in a way that's natural and you would get better as you practice, right? Um, But by doing that, the person almost feels on a very psychological kind of like deep level, like, oh my God, this person is like me. And for someone to buy from you, there's that whole no like and trust factor, right? So it's so, um, it's again, something, it's just like a little added piece, but it really does help as well. Yeah. And the no like and trust factor is huge. It's huge when you're trying to grow an audience. It's huge when you're trying to get that audience to buy into what you're offering them, whether that audience is an audience of one and you are working with someone one-on-one 
or whether you're trying to sell a group program, right? So what I, I think all those tips that we just talked about is a great way to kind of grow that powerful tribe or or whether it be one on one or in a group. But do you have any other thoughts on how we can kind of get those raving fans, if you will? Yeah, I'm like nodding because it's like, I mean, what's funny, Karen, is like for the first eight or nine months of my current business, so my coaching and speaking business, I um, I really struggled with this, to be very honest with you. I was like, I struggled with the audience thing. I struggled with the clients thing. And it's funny because I had all the skills. I had all the trainings, qualifications, whatever you want to call it. I had loads of experience. I actually got really good results for people as well for free. But for some reason, I really start struggled with this whole building an audience and building prospects and, and things like that. And ultimately, the reason for that is I wasn't being fully myself. So I think that for some people who've come from either the corporate world or used to be working in a nine to five job, we have this um, image or this idea of having to be professional. So having to be a certain way, you know, you know, do this, don't do that, the rules, the procedures, the policies, the etiquette, like don't, you know, don't dress like this, don't talk like this, don't do this, don't, you know, do this. And it's like, it kind of gets to a point where you just feel like, wow, like I have to be a certain way. And that's the way that it's going to work for me. That's how I'm actually going to get people to like me. The problem is, is then when you go off and potentially launch your own business or even look to, to apply for a new job. Ultimately, the way that you're going to grow your audience is, and especially like you said, those like diehard fans, the people who are, you know, genuinely totally into your work and absolutely love your, you, what it is that you do is you need to be yourself. And so many of us have this like front, this guard up because we're so incredibly scared of one, not being professional enough, or two, we're scared that people will not like our quirks. People will think we're too intense or people will think we're too loud or too much or too brazen or too spontaneous or too full on or too quiet. Like we just have these images of like how we need to be or how we should be in this society. And as a result of that, we kind of put ourselves out there in such a way that in the end you're, you keep attracting these people who are not actually your soulmate people or your real diehard fans because you're putting up this front and guess what? You're attracting people who are attracted to this front that you've put up like this very structured or very professional or this side of you that you think other people will like or whatever. And what's really interesting is when I actually took all of that away, and I just said, you know, I'm done. I'm done with this. Like I'm done with trying to be a certain way or trying to be professional or trying to duplicate what other people are doing in the industry or in business. I'm just going to be fully me. And what that looks like is, well, how would you be with your partner? How would you be with your absolute best friend of like five years, right? Or 10 years or 20 years? Like, you know, how would you be with them? That's how I am online, right? And what I would, I always recommend with my clients, regardless of what kind of business they run is you want to be fully yourself. Right. And, and ideally that you show up on a not necessarily daily basis. I mean, I'm one of those people that this is truly my soul calling. So that doesn't seem like a push for me, but you know, because I show up every day and I'm just like, this is me, there's nothing else. I'm being me unapologetically and take it or leave it basically. And what that creates is it creates total diehard fans because you've got people who are in complete and utter alignment with who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And Boy, that's not easy, right? No, <laughs> no, because, it's not know, easy. It's it's not easy, and I know I struggle with that a lot because, and I'm glad you brought up that sort of being professional, right? Mm. So I think a lot of times I have really struggled with always maintaining this very professional image versus 
you know, letting the quirks come out, you know, mm. and, and there's always that feeling of, well, if I'm really myself, what if people don't like me? <laughs> yeah. And then I mean, yeah. that I'm just being myself and people actually like the other me better. You know, that's always in the back of your mind, you know, and that is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, yeah. I love that, Karen, because that is so true. And I do think that that's what people are actually thinking, right? Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. For me, it's like people always saw me this like, really sweet, lovely person that would never get too intense, right? And yes, I have a like, I'm totally heart centered. And I care so much about people. That's why I do what I do in the world, right? But to be honest, I'm very real with my people. I'm very honest. You know, you get the truth. There's, <laughs> there isn't a lot of like sugar coating. It's like, I'm just going to be real with you. And, and the, the cool thing about that is when you do that, it actually allows other people to stand in their power as well. But I used to be so scared of losing that, that thing about what all these people supposedly, and I was like, who are these people anyway? Right. But I had these, this image of these people who were like, Oh, but Olivia is so sweet and so kind. And, and I was so scared of losing that reputation and like, quote unquote, breaking down that entire reputation that I'd been building up for however many years. And of course we don't do it intentionally, right? We do, we do it unconsciously and we do it to protect ourselves and to stay safe and to stay, stay loved. But, um, when you say that, it's like, I completely get that. And for me, it took a real moment of like, kind of like sick and tired of, of, and I guess that's because it's such a big part of my calling to actually for people to really live being fully and completely themselves and not only in the way that they, um, the way that they show up, but really in all areas, right? Like how they live, how they show up, what their lives are like, like all of it, like all of the details. So it was almost like, it got to a point where I was almost like out of integrity. Cause I was like, wait a second. Like I'm talking about living on your terms and being fully yourself. And that absolutely that is enough. And yet for some reason, I'm like still keeping this front and this guard up. And I guess personally also what I found Karen is I've made like, Oh, like not only have I created so much transformation and impact, but I made so much money as a result of just being me. So I guess if that should, if, you know, if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the fact that you'll then make a bigger impact in the world and you will make more money than you've ever made before. So that should be good enough as a, as a motivator. I would say. Yeah. That's, that's a nice incentive as well. Yeah, right. Sort of a bonus incentive, I suppose. Yes. But yeah, you know, it's it's difficult. I remember last year I did a podcast with a woman from New Zealand and we were talking about chronic pain. This is just a quick story. We were talking about chronic pain and I had had chronic pain for for many 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 years back in back in the day. And she had said something and I I, for, I can't remember exactly what she said, but I tried to respond and just started crying. And then I was like, should I be editing this out? Like, this is not like, but it, what was so interesting is people responded to that so well, because that was real. I mean, that was what I was going through and what I had gone through in the past. And she hit a nerve and I just started crying. I remember saying, I literally said, should I be editing this out? And then I tried to speak and I couldn't, I was so choked up and, (laughs) and her on the other, like we were looking at each other through Skype and her eyes were just like, what did I do? But I think I use that as an example of that for me, knocked down a lot of walls. You know, you know, it really allowed yeah. me to step into being a little more myself versus trying to always be perfect or trying to always have this very professional, perfect persona going. You know what I mean? I mean, absolutely. A hundred percent, Karen. And it's funny that you say that, but it, I think... 
I don't know. I just think this whole, I mean, I guess I have a mission around this, which is why I'm like so passionate about it. This whole perfect thing drives me up the wall. And I'm actually planning on going back into the corporate world later on and really disrupting certain things. Cause I do really think like, what is this even about? Like where, where did that even start? And what are we doing around that? Like, I just feel like that's so not real. And I feel like that's actually one of the, some of the reasons why people feel not super fulfilled is they feel like they've got this they're building this quote unquote facade of being perfect and seen as perfect. And that's exhausting. And that's very tiresome. And it it feels like then, because also then you can't tap into what it is that you're, you're cravings. You can't tap into what you want because you're so, um, you're spending so much time trying to focus on what you should do and how you should be and what you should be like and what you, what kind of life you should have. And you lose touch with what it is that you actually deep down are meant to be doing in the world and what it is that you want to be doing on a daily basis. So yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about this whole perfectionism thing. Yeah. And, and another thing, I love that you use the word should like five times Mm -hmm. in that sentence. Another thing that was a big takeaway for me from this conference a couple weeks ago is they said to us, tell your patients, stop using should. You should do these exercises. You should do this. You should read this. Because saying you should, should, should is, is almost very, it can cause people to be very defensive. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean, think about, like, I just so feel like. So stop using the word should. Yeah. Yeah, well, think about, like, I feel like there's just that whole basic thing of, I think, deep inside of us, like, we're all, like, even the most responsible, reasonable person in this world, like, we've got this inner child inside of us, right? Like, that didn't really ever go away, and and that, that child that wants to play and have fun and enjoy themselves and just have pleasure and all of this stuff, and so it's like when we're saying, like, you have to do this or you should do this, it's like, I, you know, that there's that kid inside of you that's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? Yeah. Even, yeah, even if it makes sense, I think it's just, it takes away that freedom of choice, right? And I think we all deeply desire that as humans is that that ability to be free. Yeah, so in in your mind, what can we say instead of you should? Um you can choose to. Like that's I mean personally, I I always say you always have a choice, right? So I think for me it would be like um you can choose to do this. This is an option. Like, you know, because ultimately who, yes, we have some great guidelines. Yes. Maybe we've done research. Yes. We might've had this great experience with other people, but ultimately, you know, we can never be sure. And, and also it just creates that, I think that freedom for the person to be like, Oh yeah, I can choose to do that. Like, and that's a great thing. And you can even say like, you can know, you can choose to do this. This is what I have found, or this is the track record, or this is the research so that they can then make a decision around that. Well, here's here's the evidence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, here's the evidence. If you want the evidence, right? But ultimately, I think, I mean, in the end, a human's going to do what they want. (laughs) It's really what it is. So you might as well make them feel like they have a choice around it so that they really do choose wisely for themselves um, rather than be forced to do something, which ultimately, how long is that going to last, right? Right. That's like willpower around like chocolate or wine. Right. And, And I think that then goes back to what we said earlier about having a sort of good motivational interview and having the patient or the client discover for themselves why they want to do what they want to do so that when you give them, you know, this would be a great option for you, this exercise or this whatever. And they now have discovered through your motivational interviewing, through your education that, you know something, if I do this, this makes sense because now I know why I want to get to where I want to get to. I'm nodding because right? I'm like, yeah, hundred. Well, because when it's tied into to the why, 
then people know that's why, you know, whenever I explain things, I'm like, this is why you want to do that. Right. Because otherwise it does feel like, well, why? Like people are always going to ask why, why like kids, like when we tell kids, okay, I don't, I don't have kids myself, but I know that like when I was a kid, it's like when we were like, okay, you have to go to bed now. Why? Like we always want to know why we have to do stuff. Right. right. So, so it just makes sense. And I think it's just very cycle, like human to, to want to know like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, you need to tell me why, give me a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, if that, if your client has made that mindset shift, like we spoke about and has now perhaps some newly ingrained values and beliefs, then you should never have to say should, because yes. they're in, they're doing it. You've created that, the raving fans and you've created the, the tribe, whether it be one-on-one or within a group. So you don't have to say you should, or you have to. I mean, a hundred, I just feel like that is exact. I mean, I've seen that with my own audience. I've seen that with my clients' audiences, like, because it, it makes sense, right? Like if you, I mean, I'm just thinking about like, let's say listeners listening in, like think about somebody that you really like respect, really look up to. It might be Karen. It might be another podcast that you listen to. It might be like some, somebody out there that you idolize. Well, ultimately because you like them so much and you trust them so much and you've just got this love for them, whatever it is that they say is often like gospel. Like I'm not saying that you shouldn't question it and challenge it. I think that that's always really valuable to do, but ultimately you're already going to be, there's already going to be a buy in there. Right. Yeah. And so ultimately afterwards, whatever it is that then we say, it's like, it makes it so much easier, right? Because they're like, Oh, I've already related to this person. I've already connected with this person. I trust this person. Cool. Like I can buy into whatever it is that they're going to tell me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we have, we spoke before, like how quickly these interviews go and and I'm like, it's at 40, (laughs) you know, we're almost to an hour here, but I just have a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. So last question, and then we'll get into kind of how people can get in touch with you and what you have going on. But Let's say, looking back, I won't have you look back on when you graduated from college, but let's look back on when you quit your corporate job. Mm -hmm. So knowing what you know now, what would you tell that girl that quit that corporate job X amount of years ago? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I would tell her follow every single one of your cravings, follow every single one of your desires, because ultimately they are your shortcut to fulfillment and success, both financial and on a kind of spiritual or psychological or fulfillment level. That's what I would tell her. And for so long, I didn't do that because I felt like I, again, it's the shoulds, right? I was like, no, I should do this. I should do that. Like, this doesn't make sense. Cause I don't know about money, all this stuff. Now looking back, I would have told her, listen to every single one of your cravings and always take action on them. Even if they scare the hell out of you. That's what I would tell her. Excellent advice. And now where can people find out more about you? What do you have going on? What's coming up here? Um, so the best place, I would say there are two places. One is under, um, my website, which is under oliviacharlet.com and Charlet is spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-T. Um, if you type it into Google, you should be able to find me anyway under Olivia Charlet coaching. Um, 
And on there, actually, what you have is you've got a, a free four-part masterclass. And basically, it's, it's these four videos, and I walk you through how to fully unleash. Um, this is something that I had to do because I wanted to get away from this perfectionism from doing what other people like feel like I should do rather than really following, like, following my own calling and my own mission in the world. Um, it's insanely powerful. It's really something I'm genuinely fond of. So you can go check that out and you can go grab that straight from my website on the top. And then the other place is I'm on, um, I do Facebook live streams, which are like live videos. Um, so if you go onto my business page on Facebook, so again, if you type in Olivia and Charlay in the search tool, um, you'll be able to find me. And basically I do free live streams every single day and I go through all kinds of topics similar to the ones that we covered today, but all kinds of other ones. And it's a lot more comprehensive as well. And, um, and I just love doing that because it gives me a chance as well to answer any questions and I coach people on live because I want to, and, um, it's really good fun. So I would highly recommend that as well. If that's something that you want, um, more of. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. And hopefully the listeners will take advantage of the four-part masterclass and hop onto your Facebook page. And of course, all of this information is at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes. So if you're on the run and you didn't have time to write all this down, go over to the show notes. One click will take you there. So Olivia, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great discussion. And I, I think I know I took a lot out of it and I, I think the listeners are going to love it. So thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome, Karen. It was an absolute pleasure to be here. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Karen Litzy NYC. And like I said, head over to the show notes to get all of this information from today. And I hope you all have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.